Hi, this is Jason Lee, pastor at Casper Lions Church. Thanks for stopping by the weekly teaching podcast. This is week 10 of our series in the book of Revelation. We're going to be doing Revelation all the way up through uh, the Christmas season, so thanks for listening. We hope you've uh, enjoyed it. If you'd like to know more about Casper Lions Church, you can check us out at casperchurch.com, or you can go to your app store on your phone or your tablet, search for Casper Lions Church, download the app with the double C's, and you'll be connected with us there. Hey, have a great week. I'm going to give you, I'm going to give you an option. So, <laughs> turn to Revelation 17. I'm going to read it, and then um, there's some language issues, like, like, just, you know how I go, and I'll just start talking and go, and then I might say a thing or two. I'm, I'm literally, I'm not trying to, to stir it on purpose, but there are some, uh, there are some important concepts I think it's, that we need to grab a hold of when we, um, when we look into Revelation 17 and why it matters and why, um, as we continue to work through the book of Revelation and why, uh, in fact, I think it's been stolen from the church. I've said that a bunch of times. It's a book that people are scared of, that they hide from. And I think this is one of those chapters, again, we talked about it last week. It's one of those sections of Scripture where we kind of avoid it because of the consequences of what we're reading. This morning, it's like one of those things we read it and we go, I, why? I don't even understand what's, what's happening. This doesn't make any sense to me. Now remember, there's a couple of things that you, you, we talk about. I'm just going to keep saying them until we're done. Revelation, the book, the word in it, Nothing in it hasn't already been said in the Scriptures. There's nothing new in Revelation. It's not new insight. It's not new. Uh, it's, it's nothing new. The words have already been written. We have to have that in our mind as we read this, because we read these, these, um, these, these metaphors, this allegory, this uh, symbolism really is probably the best word, and it's written very specifically. It's written in a way in which uh, uh, the book Fifty Shades of Grey became popular. Because people talked about it, and it enticed people, and it's written that way specifically so their readership grows on it. And, and you have to remember that, that this is written in a way to have more and more and more and more people read it. So one of the things that the church has had happen to it, and I'm being generic with that, the church has had this book removed from uh, something that gets read frequently because we, we pretend like we don't understand it. And I, if you've been following along for, we're in week 10 right now, we're going to, Christmas Eve service, we're, we'll hear the Christmas story, but Christmas Eve will be Revelation 22. Last Christmas. Sing it, Carter. Last Christmas. Christmas. <laughs> Anytime I say a word in our house and he knows the song that goes to it, he starts singing. You should tempt him on it. Um, I, I'm distracted. ADHD just kicked in. So Carter starts singing the song, and I'm like, that's an Elton John song. Why do you know that? Why do you know that song? And he's like, that's not an Elton John song. That's from the movie Sing. <laughs> All right. I say that. It has a point. Kids remember things. They remember stuff. They lock it in their brain, 
And especially if you're up until like a 10-year-old, 9-year-old, you are in the grammar phase of learning. Meaning everything that's said to you, you remember it. You just remember it, you lock it into your head. And then you begin to start to ask questions about it, and you try to understand it. But, you, but the most thing, it's locked into your brain. So when I get ready to read this, it's going to be locked in a bunch of nine-year-olds' heads that hear it. That's fine. Mom and Dad, you can explain it. I'll try my best. Okay. The great prostitute. Revelation 17. Here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to read the whole chapter. And then we'll go into it, and I'll explain some things. It's a, it's a fairly long chapter, but I'm just going to read it. And then uh, we'll go back, and I'll... doesn't matter. You can follow along. One of the seven angels who had poured out the seven bowls came over and spoke to me. Come with me, he said, and I will show you the judgment that is going to come to the great prostitute who rules over many waters. The kings of the world have committed adultery with her, and the people who belong to this world have been made drunk by the wine of her immorality. So the angel took me into the spirit, into the wilderness. There I saw a woman sitting on a scarlet beast that had seven heads and ten horns, and blasphemies against God were written all over it. The woman wore purple and scarlet clothing and beautiful and scarlet clothing and beautiful jewelry made of gold and precious gems and pearls. In her hand she held a gold goblet full of obscenities and, impu- and the impurities of her immorality. A mysterious name was written on her forehead. Babylon, the great mother of all prostitutes and the obscenities of the w- in this world. I could see that she was drunk drunk with the blood of God's holy people who were witnesses for Jesus. I stared at her in complete amazement. Why are you so amazed? The angel asked. I will tell you the mystery of this woman and of the beast with the seven heads and the ten horns on which she sits. The beast you saw was once alive, but it it isn't now. And yet, he will soon come up out of the bottomless pit and go to eternal destruction. And the people who belong to this world, whose names were not written in the book of life before the world was made, will be amazed at the reappearance of this beast who has died. This calls for a mind with understanding. The seven heads of the beast represent the seven hills where the woman rules. They also represent seven kings. Five kings have already fallen, the sixth now reigns, and the seventh is yet to come, but his reign will be brief. The scarlet beast that was, but is no longer, is the eighth king. Just a second. He is like the other seven, and he too is headed for destruction. The ten horns of the beast and are ten kings who have not yet risen to power. They will be appointed to their kingdoms for one brief moment to reign with the beast. They will all agree to give him their power and authority. Together they will go to war against the Lamb, but the Lamb will defeat them because he is the Lord of all lords and the King of all kings, and his called and chosen and faithful ones will be with him. Then the angel said to me, the waters where the prostitute is ruling represent masses of people of every nation and language. The scarlet beast and the ten horns all hate the prostitute. They will strip her naked, eat her flesh, and burn her remains with fire. For God has put a plan into their minds, a plan that will carry out his purposes. They will agree to give their authority to the scarlet beast, 
And so the words of God will be fulfilled, and this woman you saw in your vision represents the great city that rules over the kings of the world. What an amazing chapter in the Bible. For real. I think this is, and this is, I just, as I'm reading it again for the, probably the 25th time, I'm going, this is, people just skip over this stuff and go, you know what, this starts with the, the prostitute. You know, I don't need it. I don't need to hear it. I don't need to understand it. I don't need to go into it. I don't even need to look at it. This is, there's something wrong with this. I don't know why this is in the Bible. And let me, let me remind you, for the 10th week in a row, why Revelation was written. Revelation was written to promote the sovereignty of God. God is in control. Even in this chapter, you see God's plan was imprinted into their mind. There's only one person that I've seen do that, and it was on TV, it was a, or on a movie. It was a Jedi. Jedi was like, these are not the droids you're looking for. And they're like, these aren't the droids we're looking for. Like, this is what ha- God put this in their head. He's like Jedi mind-tricking evil and saying, I'm going to give you a plan, and the plan in which you can execute will be my plan. Imagine going, yeah, let's just skip over that. It doesn't make any sense. But at the core here, what we have to really continually grab, Revelation was written to show, to teach, to reveal, to promise, to promote that God is in control. He is sovereign over all. There is nothing that happens in heaven and earth or under the earth that isn't outside of his understanding, outside of his control, outside of his plans, outside of his purposes, outside of his redemptive process. He is in charge. He is the creator of heaven and earth. Now, here's the thing, and I just want you to put this into your little nugget of brains we all have and go, I need to remember this, because when we start to say that, all of a sudden we have all these other questions. Well, why does God allow this, and why does God allow that, and why does God allow these particular things, and why does evil exist, and and blah, 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 with all of these problems that we create. Well, let me tell you this. Over this next year, the year of biblical literacy, which we're going to promote at the church, we're going to answer some of those questions. We're going to have a series that comes right after Easter that's all about these questions that I don't understand about God. The God I don't get. The God I don't understand. The God that doesn't make any sense to me. The God that does Like, why does God allow... Why does God allow a group of people to march around a city, blow some horns, and everyone dies? We have to understand that to understand the story of God. Because we're part of the story of God. But the, the core underlying, the common denominator is the sovereignty of God. He's in control. That's one. This, this chapter is one of the reasons why Revelation was written. It describes the futility of Satan. It describes that everything evil will die. And God wins. He prevails. And the readers of Revelation need to be reminded, because remember, they're living first century Christians, this is written to them, it's written to them for us. This is very specific to their environment, to where they're living in. They're living under persecution, under, under the reign of Rome. When they, when they read this, they feel the evil of Rome oppressing them. They understand it, and they want the evil to be destroyed. But remember also, it can't mean for us what it didn't mean for them. That's something that I, I still can't find the name of the guy who actually coined the phrase, we just all steal it from each other. I'm, I want to give credit where credit's due. I think it was Eldon Lloyd, something like that. Anyway, maybe G.K. Beale. Doesn't matter. You don't care. 
But the, the reality is we have to know and believe it can't mean for us what it didn't mean for them. And when that happens, all of our Left Behind series go up in smoke. The Apache helicopters are not locusts. Locusts are not Apache helicopters. This country isn't the Soviet Union. America's not even mentioned in here. Understand, it can't mean for us what it didn't mean for them. Does it have meaning for us? 100%, yes. And this is the meaning we're reading. The futility of Satan, evil dies. Again, third reason, the centrality of Jesus Christ. This is written about Jesus, for Jesus, because of Jesus. At the very end of chapter 17, we see that they all waged war against who? The Lamb. The Lamb of God. So even in this part of Revelation, the Lamb is the centerpiece of the war of evil against He's the center figure, even though we pretend to talk about the prostitute. This is the one, also Revelation 17. I think Revelation 17 actually has all of these involved, every purpose. There's a cosmic battle happening. It's currently happening. We're involved in it. We're engaged in it. It's something that, that, um, that we shouldn't ignore. That evil, evil is there. Hey, Veronica! He switched sides. If you go to this church long enough and you're loved and your husband's an elder, I can call you out. You can sit with him. It's not going to bother any of us. Okay. Listen, after church, I'm open for some marriage counseling. <laughs> if you're an elder and you're coming off the elder board, I can call you out. There's a cosmic battle happening. And it's happening all around us. And, it, and we're, we're drawn into it, and we have to be aware of it, that it exists. That there's a good versus evil happening right now. See that thing that happens in our, in our own mind and soul of temptation? When you feel tempted to, to step into something evil? That's the cosmic battle you're experiencing. Evil is enticing. And we're going to get into that in more detail in just a second. Again, Revelation is written to encourage the church for the perseverance to to triumph through this. The first three chapters of Revelation are dedicated to the churches in the first century by location, by specific place. And they're called out and said, and every single church is asked to triumph. Triumph. And what the, the point of the triumph is what happens here in Revelation 20, 21, 22. If you triumph, if you conquer this evil, you'll experience this in a deep and meaningful way. Is that shadow bothering you too? There's like a that the Democrat flying around still? I keep seeing it. It's, it's, I, I keep seeing it, and I'm thinking it's a bird or a bat. And if it's either one of those, I'm running, because I'm scared of both. And we'll, we'll, get, we'll, we'll triumph. I'll raise up the real Wyoming men to bat it down. <laughs> These soft hands don't need to kill animals. <laughs> That's ridiculous. You guys need to relax. And then finally, Revelation's written to focus on worship. It wants, it's trying to teach the church that the centerpiece to the, the existence of us is to worship. And here's what I, here's, I made this comment to the worship team this morning. I think the closer and closer we get to the end, to the day, 
Worship is the one thing that's going to continue to increase besides evangelism. We'll continue to worship more. It's the one tangible thing that we can get, get our hands on, right? We can touch and feel and do this. We can, we can put our hands on the keyboard. We can sing. You can express. And worship is going to increase as we get closer and closer and closer. And I, I think that, that that's a sign of like the times when worship is, is erupting, not just in our church, but in the churches. And there's a perseverance through worship. And worship is loud and obvious. And people just continue to praise and praise. And you hear the language of worship coming out in, in, in conversation. And you hear the language of Scripture coming out in conversation. Not just like as we gather and sing, but it's the one thing that we can do and express very practically and feel it. Even those who don't necessarily like music, if you step into a space where people are like really worshiping, you can feel something. The hair on your arm stands up a little bit, and there's something. There's a visceral experience, and there's a speed in which, which towards when we get towards the end, that worship is going to increase and more aggressively, and we're just going to be more bold about our worship. Some of you might even raise your hands at some point. I don't know. Now, listen, I chose to read out of the NLT. I've been preaching on the NLT. It's not my favorite Bible to study from, but I'm thankful this morning because all the NLT other versions say another word other than prostitute. They have a better word, probably a more appropriate word. Um, when you think of the word prostitute, th- th- you can fill your mind with what it is, right? But, but I want you to have this, this concept of enticing, that, that there's an enticement that's happening. I'm going to solicit myself to bring you into my space. And that's a, that's a, that's a very key picture here to, to, the, to the prostitute in Revelation chapter 17. Is that this evil is enticing. That it's, that it's sucking in. And here's the deal, like I said just a little bit ago, that, that it's being written in a way to actually suck the reader in. You need to pay attention to the language. The language is important, and if you read something that's enticing, you want to go, let's turn to the next page. Anybody like just avid readers, you just constantly read, and you, and you get your hands on a good book, and a book is just like pulling you along in the story. If you're a, a, a passionate reader and you love to read, you know when you get your hands on something special, because you just keep page after page and page after page, and you just get sucked into the story, and you want to, you want to hear what's next, you want, and all of a sudden you've been reading, and it's 3 a.m., and you've got to get up at 6, because you've got to make biscuits and gravy for the family, and go milk the cows, and all of those special things, oh, yeah. because, I mean, I'm just thinking everybody was reading like 50, 60 years ago, nobody reads anymore, when we all have farms, now we just like watch it, somebody read to me on YouTube, has anybody ever done that, by the way, I where you flip on YouTube and like, I have YouTube read me a story. That's how, we are close to living in a simulation, by the way, everyone. But do you know what that feels like when you just are wanting to consume the content? That's how Revelation 17 is written, very specifically, very purposely, to just continue to consume, to be sucked in. Now, here's the thing. You need to understand this. This is after the wrath of God is poured out. The bowls are there, and, and, and the last bowl has been... Um, been poured out. So, so all across the world, all across the world, people are experiencing the wrath of God. They are experiencing great torment and evil. Now remember, we're not reading chronologically, but understand that this is a, a continual picture into the end. 
right? We're, we're getting different viewpoints. We're opening up another window. Now, this is another window we're opening up, but the experience of God's wrath is, is all over the place. Now, here's the deal. John uses, and the angel shows him, this great prostitute specifically. Offensive language is used throughout Scripture. Sexual language is used throughout Scripture to to elevate the importance of what the warning is. John stands in a long tradition of prophets who use sexual innuendo to remind the reader that what you see, what you hear, is a problem. Hosea, you read, read Hosea before? The metaphor for Israel's idol, idolatrous practices. And the whole story of Hosea is, 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 a, is a sexual journey of, of, of cheating and prostitution and, and God begging for, to, for, the, for Israel to forgive, to, forget, to repent and turn. Isaiah employs sexual imagery to indict Tyre. Not because, of, not because of the sexual practice, but because of what it represents. It's injustice. See, what happens when you, when you bring the sexual nature of, of uh, the, the world into something, you're revealing not just that issue. You're revealing something deeper. You're revealing something more, uh, more nefarious and disgusting and problematic, and that's the abuse of people. That's the, the degradation of others. That's the pushing down of society. That's making somebody subject to who you are. That's why it's such a, a, an, um, an emotional, physical, spiritual experience. And that's why in the church we elevate. We elevate the, the sanctity of life. We elevate... Uh, I'm trying to choose my words right. We elevate, I'm just going to use my household. We elevate in our household, you'll never be sorry for waiting. You'll never be sorry. You'll never be sorry for not looking at that thing on the internet. You'll never be sorry for having that thought. You'll never be sorry for being pure. Because there's something that happens when there's this sexual thing that's brought into the world that you live in and you in your personal experience it disturbs and distorts the soul it's a corruption and this is the this is the thing that the the old testament prophets spoke on so isaiah is, is talking about trade practices and economic exploitation but he's using this imagery that's that doesn't necessarily match in our brains or like be a one for one, but the whole point is an exploitation. Nahum charges Nineveh with economic prostitution. Ezekiel depicts Jerusalem as an unfaithful wife who accommodates the prevailing culture, who says, I'll accept you. And, and here we see the first part of Revelation, the Jezebel in Tyratira to practice idolatry. And here we have again the great prostitutes. Now, why? Why? Now, this is, again, this is important. The battle between good, good and evil, 
occurs every day. And Revelation 17 is all about saying, which side of that fight do you want to be on? Are you going to be sucked into the evil, or are you going to choose to stand with Yahweh, God Almighty? And that's the whole point of Revelation, like, uh, I don't know, whenever, the, whenever all of the torment started, is that like five, six, after the throne room, six. Revelation six on is all about which side are you going to be on? Which side of the fight do you want to, do you want to fight on? Which part of this end do you want to be associated with? And again, we're, John is drilling down deeper, not just to like, hey, hopefully you don't get boils. Hopefully you don't put a little mark on your forehead and on your wrist. Hopefully you don't experience you know, the earthquakes. He's saying, no, 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 no. This is even deeper than that. Who, where are you going to point your allegiance from a soul level? And we find that with the prostitute. That's the point now. This is really, really... It's important to understand this. As we read through it, look at verse 7 of Revelation 17. Well, I'll go up to to verse uh, 5. A mysterious name was written on her forehead. Babylon, the great mother of all prostitutes and obscenities in the world. I could see, this is John saying, I could see that she was drunk, drunk with the blood of God's holy people who were witnesses for Jesus. I stared at her in complete Amazement. This is John writing. This is John saying. This is John the Apostle. This is John who what? Jesus what? Loved. And he stood with this this personification of evil and was amazed. He was drawn in. He was sucked in. The greatest of the greatest, the, the one of the top three, one of the Jesus' A team was brought in and was like, Woo, look at this. She's a hottie. And she's like he, like, he could not turn his eyes. He was amazed at who, what this was, this spectacle in front of him. He had to look. He had to see. And then the angel says, What? Why are you so amazed? Why are you so amazed at this? And this is one of the only places in Scripture, not Scripture, I'm sorry, in Revelation, where you get an explanation of what's actually happening. The symbolism's there, but now you get the explanation. Why are you so amazed, the angel asked. I'll tell you the mystery of this woman and the beast with seven heads and ten horns, which she sits. The beast you saw was once alive, but isn't now. Remember we talked about last week, this parody of the Trinity, that they're going to they're gonna try to create a, a false god, they're going to build statues, they're going to try to get the earth to worship a pretend god. There are, well, the beast you saw was once alive but isn't now, and then he will soon come up out of the bottomless pit and go to the eternal destruction. Again, the angel saying, this, this is a temporary experience. And the people who belong to this world, whose names were not written on the book of life before the world was made, will be amazed at the reappearance of this beast who had died. And remember, we talked about that. We talked about that last week. That this parody of, of who, of the beast and the dragon, 
and all this stuff is going to replicate and look like, and people are going to get sucked into it. People are going to go, this is the time. This is, this is, this is actually Jesus, I think. This is, this is the thing that was talked about. This is the thing I went to Sunday school and I heard about. I went to Easter service when I was eight, and I remember this story. I remember it. They talked about that, that, this, that this, this Jesus person died, and then he was raised again. And, and because he was raised again, we're all supposed to worship him. And, and not, just, not just that he was raised again, but he has the keys to eternal life. That lie is going to continue to be perverted and twisted and turned for a culture who's going to continue to be steered another direction. Now, here's the thing. If you think about our culture today, are we continually being stirred another direction? We're constantly being pointed in other places. Now, I'm not saying that we need to go dig like, like uh, I joked about this with Joe before, go dig a hole, let's put a semi-trailer underneath your ground or your property and we can all live underground. We're not supposed to do that. We're not. But I talk, I talk to a lot of Christian people, and a lot of Christian people are going, wow, the times are crazy right now. And it doesn't matter if you're 18 or 88. You think the times are crazy right now. You're like, this is, this is not normal. We're moving at a pace that doesn't make any sense. It does make sense when you read this. It makes complete sense. It makes so much sense that like, we're shocked that it's happening. This is the trick. Evil disguises itself as our comfort, as our, as our desires. And we read scriptures like he gives us the desires of our hearts. Well, what our desires of our heart, and the further we get from the Holy Spirit, the further we get from the sanctified life, the further we get from Jesus, the desires of our heart become really bizarre and corrupted and broken and messed up and look so much like the world. We spend so much time trying to fit in and trying to be comfortable and trying to be uh, preserved, not persevere, that we become kind of this mummified version of the church. That's just kind of waiting for it all to be over. That's not what we're being asked to do. So if you're a first century Christian and you're reading this, you're like, oh, there's no way this person's going to have control over me. There's no way I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to subjugate myself to this person. No way. I know Jesus. I met Jesus. I walked with Jesus. I saw him die. I saw him raised again. This is a fake Jesus. And then, then we get generation after generation after generation after generation, and we're all looking for pretend Jesus. Pretend Jesus becomes... Hey, how big is my bank account? Pretend Jesus becomes, how, how nice is my house? Pretend Jesus is, like, do I get to drive uh, an SUV Yukon, or do I get to drive a 2007 for a Chevy Tahoe that has 258,000 miles because you can't afford another car? That's me, I'm sorry. I, was just, I, I inserted myself into the story. That's now worth more because we just fixed it. It went up in value this week. Personal value. But when we, become, when, we make, when we make our comfort our faith, that's not what Scripture teaches. That's not what Revelation is trying to reveal to us. That's what, not what John is doing when he writes this. So much so that he embarrassed himself by inserting himself into the story and saying, I was amazed. I lost track of the vision. I lost track of the focus. I lost track of what I was supposed to be tracking with. I started tracking with this enticing prostitute. The evil is a fisherman that's really good at it. Cast, catch, reel. 
catch seals. I say evil, this is for Gary back there sitting in security, I say evil is ice fishing. You sit in your nice little hut, evil is, they got their warm hut, bunch of beers, eating steaks, dropping a line in a frozen pond, just waiting for lazy fish to come along because they're so slow. And then they bite and they hardly have to work to reel them in. They just be like, hmm. Evil is a, a master angler. And will catch us every time. And John is showing us that evil is enticing. That evil is personified in everything that draws us in. The way she looks. I'm not calling evil a woman, but the scripture does. The way she looks. How she dresses. How she smells. Everything about is sucking the church in to be smashed. The reality is, is evil is not going to stop fishing until evil is destroyed. When we, uh, one time we were in um, the Caribbean as a family and we did a, a fishing excursion. It's, it's, it's really kind of a fun thing to do. They chum the water, so like, you know, eight-year-olds catch fish constantly. We had a couple of guys on, on the boat that were trying, they wanted to catch a shark. And I don't know if you boys remember this, but they, we caught a, they caught a shark. And every, every kid on the boat got a chance to fight with the shark for a little bit. Now, this shark wasn't like Jaws-level shark. The shark was like, you know, standard poodle size <laughs> shark. 40, 50, I don't know, it's probably a little bit bigger than that, but it wasn't that big. But all of us fought with, with the shark for a bit. And man, that shark put up a fight. A real fight. To the point where I, they never brought it on board. Do you guys remember that? They didn't bring it on board. They got, they got everybody, we're just like, and you're like, you're, and the pool's like, and you're like, it's a fight. Eventually they get it close by, and everybody got there, like, take a picture. Now, I think that shark was probably part of the Disney animatronic thing, and we're all just, like, playing. It's like, again, we're living in a simulation. But, like, but we got a picture of a shark, and everybody, everybody in our family got to say, we, we fought with the shark, right? It did not want to be caught. It didn't want to be caught at all. It was fighting and fighting and fighting to get away. It understood, I, I really, at its core, understood, this is the experience of my death. Oh no, I got lured into all the chum on the water. And now my instinct is to fight because that's the instinct when you know you're about ready to die, to fight. And here's the problem. The church doesn't realize we're about ready to die most of the time. We're just kind of going through it. Going through the motions. Doing the thing and being enticed. The waters have been chummed. And we're just like... Oh, this is beautiful. I mean, and slowly, surely being caught, reeled in, thrown in the cooler. What do you do to fish? You skin them, you cut their heads off, and you eat them. The illustration works because let's go to the end of this chapter. What happens to evil? Verse 15, then the angel said to me, the water's... See, listen, I think about my illustrations a little bit. I'm not just freewheeling it up here. This isn't just coming to me. 
The waters, and again, I've told you this before, the waters is where evil resides. All through Scripture, it's symbolic. From the beginning to the end, it's where evil lives. Evil is in the water, the great deep. The water is where the prostitute is ruling. Oh, for example, like the, the students, junior highers, what are we studying right now in junior high small group? You remember? Jonah. It's not, it's not a coincidence that Jonah was thrown into the sea by pagans. It's not a coincidence that he was rescued by a large fish in the sea. The sea is a place of death and evil. It's not a coincidence. It's not just like, oh, that's a fun story where Jesus is out walking on water. We like go, hey, that's a fun story. No, Jesus is showing his supremacy over evil. This has no bearing on me. I will walk on it. I will walk over it. I will step on it. And it can't do anything to me. When you look at it from that perspective, and that's what Scripture is teaching us, is that Jesus has authority over all of creation, including the evil parts of it. We see this in verse 15, and the angel said to me, the waters where the prostitute is ruling represents masses of people of every nation and language. The scarlet beast and his ten horns all hate the prostitute. They will strip her naked, eat her flesh, and burn her remains with fire. The evil, the very evil that's personified in Revelation 17 is going to get chummed up and eaten by the very thing that is enticing. Again, evil fights evil, and we're all sucked into it. Now what happens? For God has put a plan into their minds, a plan that will carry out his purposes. They agree to give their authority to the scarlet beast, so the words of God will be fulfilled. And the woman you saw in your vision represents the great city. Great city. Anybody, I've talked about it before. Anybody paying attention for the last 10 weeks? What's the great city? Babylon, thank you. All through Scripture, Babylon is referred to as the great city. It represents the system that humans create of evil. The prostitute is here today now. Babylon is real today now. We're living in this evil space, being sucked in regularly repetitively, drowned by evil. The woman represents the great city. So if you're a first century reader, what great city are you thinking of? Rome. You're thinking of Rome. Now, this whole section. There's one thing. Uh, we talked about the forehead, the thing on the forehead and on the hand, we, the mark of the beast a while back, and this, the, the prostitute has something on her forehead, something on her wrist. Uh, this is from some, just some good, good uh, commentaries out there that I, I wanted to repeat back to you guys. Um, the forehead is your ideology. If something's written on your forehead, it's your ide- ideology, the things that you believe. I'm a card-carrying member of the conservative party. I'm a card-carrying member of the BLM. I'm a card-carrying men- member of the United States of America. I'm a card-carrying, whatever. That's your ideology. It's the thing that you believe. But on your hand is the actions When you put it on your hand, when it moves from here to here, it's not just your thought, but it's your activity of that ideology. You get that? So not only do you believe a certain way, you act a certain way based on that belief. So that's what's going on here, okay? Now, here's the warning, and we're going to end this. Um, Turn with me to Psalm chapter 2. This is the warning to the church. 
Revelation 17 is a warning to the church saying you're going to be sucked in. The temptation of this age is here, it's now, and it's going to continue, and it's only going to get worse. And the point is, is the futility of Satan is real, and the, the evil of this world will always be destroyed. Babylon will always end in ruin. The great evil will always die. It will always be destroyed. It's always going to go down. Are you going to choose to live in that city or outside of that city? Remember last week, where was Jesus crucified? Outside. Outside of the city walls. That was to represent not just he was dying for the Jews, but for what? Every tribe, every tongue, every nation. It was for everyone. It wasn't just for our close friends and personal people and the ones that we identify with. The same is true here. Do we want to live outside of the city? Because Babylon will be destroyed. Last thing before we read Psalm 2. Despite evil's defeat on the cross, it's stubborn, it's resilient, and it's in need of messianic repair. Not my words. As we get into the next four chapters, there's when heaven meets earth experience. This is the messianic repair that's going to take place. The future experience of the church. All that is evil will be destroyed. But the evil is here now, enticing us now. And it's resilient and it fights back. And we have to decide if we're going to fight back as well. This is why we have a vision statement that we do. Fighting forward together through hope in Jesus Christ. There's no fight that I think that this church isn't willing to get involved with the people. We want to stand with people. We want to encourage and disciple and bless people to continue to battle and not to succumb to this age. Psalm 2. I'm going to invite the worship team. We have a closing song, right? Do we have a closing song? I'll invite the worship team to come up while I sing sing (laughs) Psalm 2. Why are the nations so angry, Psalm 2 says? Why do they waste their time with futile plans? The kings of this earth prepare for battle. The rulers plot together against the Lord and against the anointed one. Let us break their chains, they cry, and free ourselves from slavery to God. But the one who rules in heaven laughs. The Lord scoffs at them. Then in anger he rebukes them, terrifying them with his fierce fury. For the Lord decries, I have placed my chosen king on the throne in Jerusalem, on my holy mountain. The king proclaims the Lord's decree. The Lord said to me, you are my son. Today I have become your father. Only ask and I will give you the nations as your inheritance. The whole earth as your possession. You will break them with your iron rod, and smash them like clay pots. Now then, you kings, act wisely. Be warned, you rulers of wise earth. Serve the Lord with reverent fear and rejoicing and trembling. Submit to God's royal son, or he will become angry, and you will be destroyed in the midst of all your activities, And for his anger flares up in an instant. For what joy for all who take refuge in him. At the end of Revelation 17, after we get the imagery from the prostitute, you see that they wage war against the Lamb of God. And the Lamb of God prevails. We know this already. The Lamb of God went to the cross. He defeated evil. 
But the battle never stops. They will never stop until complete destruction. And the kings of this earth and the rulers of this earth will continue to pervert truth, to entice, and to make evil normative. To make the things of this world become normal. And that's, a, that's something that we have to be alert to, be aware of. What's become normal? That 30 years ago, 40 years ago, and I'm not trying to go backwards in time. Listen, I, I don't even know, I don't like history. I'm a forward thinker. But I know that the conversations that, that I had in 20 years of student ministry changed rapidly over 20 years. The things of students struggling in 2003 are different than they were struggling with in 2008, which are different than 2015, which are so different now. They might be wearing the same clothes that we wore in the 90s, but they have a completely different perspective. And their world is so confusing. So confusing. And the church has the opportunity to stand in there and become a voice to fight back. The story of Revelation 17 is that evil is enticing. And it's going to suck you in. Even the best of us will stop and be amazed at what evil can do. Even the best of us. One last little thing. It's not a shock to me anytime I read of a pastoral failure. Our, our most popular guy was living a life of evil. Our, our famous person. It never shocks me when that happens. And that's why following Jesus, you move to, we have to move towards being vigilant with purity. With purity. And that's, that's purity in decision making. That's purity in finance. That's purity in, in the way we think about other people. That's purity in, in how we treat our neighbor. That's purity in, in our conversation. That's purity in the way in which, which, way in which we interact with anyone around us. It's so easy for us to isolate and just, no, I'm not going to deal with that. I'm not going to deal with that. To build our little fortress within the city and pretend. And I'm telling you this. The church is called to recognize evil for what it is. And John's writing with a very specific way. This is evil. She's a prostitute. Don't get sucked into her schemes. Don't get sucked into her ways. Don't get sucked into her garbage. Don't get sucked into her swamp she'll drown you. And that's what Revelation 17 is teaching us, to reject that. Father, thank you for uh, your word. Lord, continue to teach us how to understand it. Thank you that we get to talk about it. Lord, I pray that all things that were said today are only from you, and that you continue to stir us up towards love and good deeds as the day is approaching. We love you, Lord. In Christ's name, amen. Why don't you stand away?